Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, January 3rd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Look, we could have had our 2022 rearview mirror look at sports in Kansas City sometime in the final two weeks of the year, but that wouldn't have provided a complete picture, right? What if Kansas State had beaten Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, for instance? Well, that didn't happen, but I'm still glad star columnist Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and I waited to have this discussion. I believe we covered it all, but you tell us what we missed. We spend the first few minutes talking about what I believe are the two biggest topics of the year in Kansas City sports, the World Cup announcement and a couple of Chiefs topics. After a break, we hit on everything else, like the big changes in the Royals organization and the Kansas basketball NCAA title. Plus, we look ahead to 2023. It's longer than usual, this show today, but I hope you'll enjoy it. Let's get started. We could have done a year in review sometime during the final two weeks of 2020, but no, I thought if it's a year in review, don't you need to include the entire year? Um, others, no, not so much. You could you could start seeing these things in the middle of December, year in review, and I'm thinking, well, what if something newsworthy really happens in the final two weeks? K-State well, could have beaten Alabama. That's exactly what I was getting yeah. at. On December 31st, Kansas State played Alabama the Sugar Bowl, maybe the biggest game in Kansas State history. If we had recorded this you know, a week earlier, we would not have been able to include that. Include that. Be irrelevant, and you had you couldn't take that risk. Plus, you are a visionary. This is how it is. You know, the year in review, the next year. Actually, I wanted to do it a couple weeks early, but it just <laughs> didn't work out with anybody's schedule. So. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad we're doing it now, and uh, and I'm glad I'm doing it here with Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell. We are going to talk about 2022 and look ahead to 2023. Um, the first thing we, we look back upon in 2022 was some of the personal achievements by uh, our fine guests. 2022 was the year Sam McDowell became a columnist at the Kansas City Star. 2022 was the year Vahe Gregorian became a USBWA Hall of Famer. And we were uh, thrilled to share that with you at the Final Four this year. Can I interject one thing? Sure. 2022 also, quite meaningfully to both of us, I can say, was the year we got you back healthy. And that was uh, a great, great highlight of our years. I know Sam feels the same way. Just Blair's speech during your Hall of Fame induction by was really moving because you touched on that. And um, it was also you being inducted. That was a really cool moment. Luckily, Jesse and I were able to attend that because KU was there at the, at the Final Four. So yeah. anyway, it's my favorite photograph of 2022 was the four of us after the yeah. induction ceremony. I love was, that. Love that was that. really cool. Really cool. Okay. Um, I think, in Vahe, you captured in a column you wrote, you know, prematurely, of course, because it, <laughs> we weren't quite to the end of the year. <laughs> Just banking that Alabama's going to win that game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. We should have all gone to school on that. Um, it was quite an eventful year, 2022. I, I don't like not going to compare it to previous years, but it just seemed like a lot went on, and it maybe because it it was out. It, it was in addition to Chiefs news. The Chiefs made the Royals um, our, our colleges that we cover, and I think we should just start with um, more instead of an event, and we'll get to the events, but an announcement that was made. Uh, in the summer 
I can't remember the month exactly. I'm, was I it? think it was June. Okay. I think it was June. You know, what? just one back step real quick about all this that I think is what's so interesting about the year. There were a lot of things that were momentous in themselves in the moment, right? Um, like, let's just say the Royals changes. Let's just say, you know, Chiefs knocking at the door of another Super Bowl. I mean, it, Buck O'Neill going in the Hall of Fame. But there were... To me, the overriding things were the things that sort of portend so much and point to the future. And we'll get into the others, but why don't we go to the, the one that's most on our minds, which is the World Cup announcement. I mean, that is, um, we, we need to find ways to crunch different numbers and the economic stuff is a little tricky. And even the number of people coming to Kansas City all at once is a little tricky, but I think we can pretty much say it will put Kansas City on a give Kansas City a worldwide presence focus, certainly unlike any it's ever had before, and maybe more and more pronounced and prolonged than before. I feel um, like the NCAA tournament director just accidentally unveiled half the bracket. Right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'll, enough we'll about me. We'll touch. We'll, we'll touch on <laughs> those. A lot may of or may not be on the list. Those other ones you heard. <laughs> Well, it's this is this is going to be more of a discussion than a countdown. Uh, but I do want to get you, I, I do want to get all, both of you guys' ideas on what you think the biggest story was. I don't think we have to list them, but uh, but I, I do I, I do want to get your ideas. I to me the World Cup announcement. If it's not number one, it's number two uh, in terms of uh, uh, revelation. I guess we knew an announcement was coming, right? Uh, uh, and as as it got closer, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I, I was kind of less sure as we got closer. I'm thinking they, they're really not going to pick us, really. I mean, they, Kansas City has done everything possible to put itself in a position to be a World Cup city, um, but then you look at all the other cities in the in in, North, in, in the U.S. because they were that's who they were competing against. Well, there's cities that are larger in population where soccer is just as important in those places. I was thinking DC, right? Great soccer city. And yet the way that the announcement unfolded, they revealed it in regions, right? There was Pacific, Central and Atlantic or something like that. West, Central and East, maybe that's what it was. And they did the West cities first. And then they came back, you know, when we come back from our, you know, uh, our, our announcements here, we'll do the Central. And Kansas City was the first city announced in the Central, you know, kind of mispronounced by the person who's read it but that's you know kind of get used to that but uh but that was like wow it's gonna happen yeah and it was and uh, you know you guys were uh, you were um at power and light i think also I was at power, yeah, I was were you standing Blair? next to uh, the mayor actually you were standing next to the mayor and i was in no other pub and had my eyes right on uh kathy nelson and katherine holland katherine fox uh mm -hmm. who were you know, so instrumental in this, but right next to them were Clark Hunt and Cliff Illig, who were almost as demonstrative as, as Kathy and Catherine. And that, you know, to me also spoke to the, you know, heft of this. Yeah. What, what was so interesting about it, and you actually, were, I think you were the only reporter in there, right, in that room, but it meant so much to so many people, but for different reasons. I yeah. Mean, look, the Chiefs have probably as much like a, of a fallback within their actual facilities as anybody. Now, I think we all think that the current 
new stadium could be used, that, you know, sporting Kansas City's facilities will certainly be used, but Arrowhead's probably going to have to cut out some of their own seats for Chiefs games to, to make this work and then put them all back. And so that's going to be a process, but it meant something to Clark Hunt because he knew it would have meant something to his dad to have this. It meant something to sporting because they think that they can significantly grow their brand within Kansas City, but also just the game of soccer within Kansas City. So huge gift for them too. And then all the the officials associated with the city. And then you mentioned Kathy Nelson with um, the sports commission. So it's like, it, it's so meaningful to just a ton of people, not to mention the fans who we, we witnessed at Power and Light that day, um, but just for a lot of different reasons. That was, was I, there's not really many events that can draw that, that you can have both of those statements be true about. I want to save this idea for another show uh, down the road, but <laughs> Some, something that occurs to me about uh, Kansas City getting the World Cup. When I moved here in, in 1989, uh, Kansas City had a, um, there was no MLS, right? That didn't happen until 95, 96, I think. But Kansas City, they, they got a team, and I just figured the first five or six years, Kansas City was just another, you know, just another team in the MLS, no different than any other city. Um, it was probably given because of a, a favor to the Hunt family, who was, you know, Lamar, of course, so instrumental in, in development of American soccer. When Sporting Kansas City uh, took over the identity of the of the, the, the Wizards, the Wiz and the Wizards, and it became, came under new ownership, something changed in Kansas City's relationship to soccer. And it was because of the change, to me, the change in identity, um, Peter, the, the strength of Peter Vermees and his influence on it all, um, how techno, uh, technologically savvy the organization was and out in front of all this stuff. And, and that to me is when Kansas City started to change its relationship with soccer and put it on a track to where it could call itself soccer capital of the country, whatever you, you know, kind of silly. It sounds kind of silly, um, but why not say it, right? You, nobody else is disputing it. Why not say it? And if, if, if that doesn't happen, if Sporting Kansas City doesn't exist in the way that it does, I don't think Kansas City has that relationship with soccer that gets the World Cup. Yeah, like to that point, so obviously we're a week out or a couple of days out from me writing about Sporting Kansas City trying to get Cristiano Ronaldo, well, which, by the way, I think would potentially be the top of our list if something like that had <laughs> well, happened. Imagine if that happened on 1231. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but this has the same elements in the sense that when I was talking to Peter Vermees about that, I said, you guys had been setting yourselves up for a while to make a pitch like this. And that's the way I felt about the World Cup, too. And a lot of that was because of the way the growth that you just mentioned was sporting Kansas City. Like, there's no way Kansas City is a host city. As much as influences the Chiefs have and Lamar Hunt's connection to the game and as much work as the sports commission and the city officials put into it, if sporting Kansas city isn't what it is today, like we're not getting the world cup to Kansas city, but their growth has just been layered. It's not like they just did this rebrand and got this new stadium and just said, okay, we hope this all works out from here. I mean, it's consistent growth. And I mean, it's, it's new training facilities. I mean, it's, it's, they've got a minor league team here, even though I know soccer fans don't like it when that's how it's phrased, but there's, it, it's, they're always looking for the next best thing, I think. In a lot of cases, I think when you look at specifically their training facility, they probably have the best thing the country has. You know, what's a, a, another little twist on this, 
goes sort of back to the heart of your point, Blair. So I was in St. Louis all those years. St. Louis perceived itself as, you know, maybe it wasn't calling itself a soccer capital, but certainly perceived itself as pretty prominent. It may not have called it that, but it was. And it For had, all intents and purposes, yeah, it might as well have been. It had a lot of that history to it. Um, but St. Louis didn't get an MLS team. They had ownership issues trying to put it together until, until recently, and yeah. we'll, we'll see how starts, that affects starts things. this year, yeah. Yeah, but that imagine that landscape, how different the landscape would be if, even if St. Louis had gotten the team at that point with visionary ownership. Um, we might not be talking about this the same way either, right? Because all this stuff, this was a convergence of a lot of different things for the smallest market in the World Cup, right? And in this 2026 World Cup. And without all those dynamics, including the very start of it with what you brought up. Hmm. Okay, let's, uh, um, if, if Kansas City being announced as a World Cup uh, destination isn't the top story for Kansas City sports in 2022, I would submit that it has uh, its Chiefs story, and I just don't know which one. Um, I don't know if it's Patrick Mahomes having an MVP season in the regular season of 2022, or is it the Chiefs-Bills playoff game that happened, obviously, in January uh, of this year, the second half of the Bengals game, uh, which became the single most disappointing loss in the Patrick Mahomes era. Um, you all talked me out of combining those into just one Chiefs category, so maybe we can touch on all three. Um, let's start with the Bills uh, game because I didn't see it. You both were there to cover it, um, but widely acknowledged as what, it was. It was the game of the year on, on, on the S, for the SBs this year, and maybe the single greatest game at Arrowhead Stadium history, and some are calling it the best playoff game of all time. Um, you guys were there. What, what's what's the year after feeling about that moment, that game? Well, well uh, go ahead, Sam. Well, I, I think what was so unique about that game is it's not like, um, you know, like the Tennessee Miracle, for example, where it's, it's just the ending that you think about. It was the last quarter and a half, including overtime, um, that there were several times, I mean, in our jobs, we, we write when we think X team might win. And there were several times where you, you got, you buried your head and started writing because you thought, okay, it looks like this team's got a pretty significant leg up. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what stands out most. I actually, so if in terms of ranking, I, I think the Bengals game, I'd, I'd put second, even though it's the negative one, but I don't think I'll ever cover a game like that again. I really think it'll be the best game that, that I've ever seen in person. I had friends from out of state calling me just to ask me what it was like being there. And I'm not sure how often, you know, I mean, we go to Super Bowls and Final Fours, you have people that ask you, what are those like? But just purely, wow, what an incredible game. And, you know, of course the 13 seconds, I think is what's going to be most memorable. And I had that idea to, to chat with so many people that their reactions of 13 seconds from I think Ireland, I quoted somebody from. There were people that watched the game in the parking lot because they decided it was over. Um, it, I just, I really don't think we'll see another game like that, even though we probably shouldn't say never with the with the guy they have here. Um, I think you, you get at the thing that distinguishes that game in a way, which is we've all been pretty privileged to be at a lot of, lot of different events with a lot of dramatic endings, but it was sort of the frenzy, the extended frenzy of the second half, really the late, 
second half of the fourth quarter, last four minutes, you had there was no way to know what, what, what when it was going to end, what how, what to expect of how the next twist would be. So just um, just, just like so, this is a good example of that point is um, that like I mentioned the the uh, miracle game. What, what is that called? The, the Tennessee miracle. The mu- music, the throwback on the music city miracle. Throwback on the music city miracle. We all know what happened. The Chiefs game. I think most people know who won. They remember the 13 seconds, and we thought the game was incredible before any of that stuff happened. Like, do you remember? Yeah, right. Do you remember the last four minutes preceding it? I mean, it's it's like it's it's so incredible that that part has kind of gotten lost with Tyree Kill's long touchdown, like. Uh, Gabe Davis scoring his fourth touchdown of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they had the bill stopped on a fourth down play. That's what really stands out to what you were just saying is there, there's so much packed into those last four and a half minutes. Yeah, I think that's right. So that the uh, preamble or whatever you want to call it to the 13 seconds to the overtime, all that. I mean, the the that was what I think makes it different. Because, again, we have seen a lot of crazy final plays, right? crazy endings, crazy comebacks, um, just with the Chiefs. Um, what's interesting to me, and Sam identified this in the moment a week later, was we're going to look at that reasonable, reasonable to say we might forever think of that as the greatest game we ever covered or saw. And a week later, you get what Sam really in the moment understood was the greatest disappointment for a franchise that has been riddled with these horrendous postseason losses. Wrote the book on the postseason losses. Wrote the book because you thought that was behind them. Yeah. Right, with Patrick Mahomes. Like, they're not going to – well, they're not going to have a second-half collapse in the playoffs with Patrick Mahomes. And then it turns out, lo and behold, alas, it can actually even still happen with Patrick Mahomes here. So it sort of redefines the the boundaries of how you look at this, right? Anything's possible, but that includes that. Yeah, that's well said. That that's what was so surprising about the Bengals game is, I think when you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Andy Reid. Just when you have that combination, you have to assume that some disappointing losses are going to come because they're going to have so many opportunities at it, and they're not going to win them all. But the manner in which they lost, you know, heavily favored against an inferior team, I think there's no doubt they would have won the Super Bowl had they gotten there. I just thought, and like you mentioned, I mean. Once this guy came, you thought they're over that. I think we all found ways to excuse them losing in the Super Bowl. We found ways to excuse the Chiefs losing in 18 because it was all the defense. And there was just no excuse for losing that game. And the fact that really the reason they lost it was the quarterback. That was just something that it wasn't a story any of us anticipated writing going into the day. It made you gasp for a different reason. You know, the, 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 the Bills win was total gasp, you know, oh my God. And then the following week, it's like, really? You know, that, that kind of gasp. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the, the, the Bills game was the one that, you know, it was the cliche joke that 200,000 people probably have claimed to have been there. <laughs> and because, you know, they just want to soak in everything. And the Bengals game is the one where it's like, I'm, I'm never following this team again. <laughs> and then, then a month later, of course, they're back on the wagon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, but it was only like two months later that they made us gasp one more time uh, with the trade of Tyreek Hill. Biggest trade uh, that I have uh, experienced uh, in, in my years in Kansas City at any team, any level, really, because Tyreek Hill is a Hall of Famer, going to be a Hall of Fame wide receiver, and and the Chiefs dealt him. Um, I 
I didn't see it coming, but then, you know, uh, I don't, you know, my job isn't to follow the Chiefs every moment of, of the day, every day of the week. Uh, but did, did, was there an inkling that this was going to happen? Yeah, I, I thought um, I had had conversations with people just within the Chiefs like a month earlier at the Combine. And I said, you guys are going to come to a point where you're going to have a really tough decision to make on some of your star players. You're not going to be able to retain them all. And look, I, I've always praised that move because I, I, the worst thing that any sports franchise does is they let really valuable assets leave and they get nothing in return for them. And the Chiefs were in danger of doing that a year later had they let Tyree Kill walk because he was not going to resign here. He wanted to play in Miami. Um, he wanted to play for a dollar amount that would not have made. I mean, the Chiefs could have paid him. They could have. They could have paid twenty-eight million, whatever the, the mm-hmm. final number ended up being. But the the effects of having that number on your contract, like Lejarius Sneed's only got a year left. You probably don't have him back. Um, Chris Jones, you might not have him back, and they might face a similar decision with Chris Jones this off season. But I, I just always thought. They were going to come to a decision where you're going to have to play all in now or you're going to try and play for the entirety of this 10-year Patrick Mahomes contract. And we saw last year, we just talked about a game where the Chiefs were the better team and they lost the game. The Chiefs might not find out soon whether or not they're the number one seed once the Week 18 games are completed. That's not the barometer for who ends up going to the Super Bowl. They're plenty good enough to still get to the Super Bowl despite um, having made this move. And still the number one offense in the league. That was, uh, I guess, a fallout piece that I did not expect of the deal. Yeah, I think I didn't expect number one still. I thought in the moment, I remember, like you, Blair, used the term gasp. I mean, I, I guess I had a semi-inkling from just, you know, well, talking to Sam and studying the landscape a little bit that these sorts of things can happen. But actually seeing it happen was like and it just seemed so radical and dramatic um you could easily in the moment or in the few moments after see how it opened it opened up the window it 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 freed money to be used in a different way all these things but you couldn't see that the offense could be basically just as effective this year um I, i mean i you just had to I had, I assumed immediately, well, they're going to take a step back this year offensively. Now, maybe all they can do defensively, what they can do with the draft picks, you know, maybe that'll make up for it. I certainly didn't think they, they wouldn't have a good chance to contend this year, but you just wondered about that. What's also interesting, when you when you trade, it was five draft picks, right? So when you trade for draft picks, right, it's it's faceless. I mean, right. you, you don't, yeah. it, it, it's, you got rid of a guy in his prime, in his prime. Uh, who's going to be a Hall of Fame player, and you got five faceless people that are coming. Now, they worked that pretty well so far. they still got some picks, two picks left, I think. Right, a four, I think a fourth and a sixth yeah. for 2023. But look what they've been able to do with it. And it also opened up – I think this is true. I think even intellectually after, after last season, you could look at what's going on there. Yeah, you'd like to have – you'd rather have Tyree Kill than not on this team. On the other hand, there were, there were spurts where pretty much 50% of the passes are going to Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. And I wonder if they got in, you know, fine line between a groove and a rut on what you turn to all the time. But having the chance to diversify and I think even refresh the offense, think differently, 
um, I think that has served them well too. I see it as a maybe not a win-win, but right now it's a win, not lose. You know, proposition. It's certain Tyree Kill is going to be a all you know an All-Pro player. He's going to you know, he's incredible numbers this year. Dolphins may not make the playoffs. We'll see. Um, and the Chiefs didn't lose with the trade, not with you know what they required, and and uh, uh, so and the position the Chiefs are in. I don't know if they would have a different record if they had Tyree Kill this year. Yeah, because it's not it's not just the five draft picks; it's all the salary cap room, too. right? And I'd argue the salary cap room is even more valuable than the five draft picks because I mean you could go sign Juju Smith Schuster and Marquez Valdez Scantling and have that takes up half the money that the Tyree Kills eat up against the cap. So it's to, to me it's the beauty of the sport. First of all, it's the way the NFL is constructed that allows everybody to compete. It's but it also speaks to how incredible it is that this team has won seven consecutive division championships because the sport is innately set up to where you're not supposed to be able to have this sort of consistency because you're supposed to have to lose these guys at some point. And obviously, that's you know an Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes thing more than anybody else thing. But there's a lot of people that that you know play a factor in what they've been able to do because of that. Okay, guys, let's take a break, and when we come back, we've got to hit a few more. Items. Oh man, we've been talking for almost an entire show here, but we're coming right back after this. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the E-Edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says Start a Subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Okay, we're back on Sports BKC talking about... Uh, 2022, the year in review in sports in Kansas City and around Kansas City, and looking ahead to 2023 with star columnists Sam McDowell and Vahe Gregorian. The Kansas City Royals. Uh, I don't even can't remember. Did they finish in last? They did, didn't they? Didn't they rally to finish last? Uh, they, they were fourth. Seems like most of the post All Star break, and then they end up finishing fifth in the AL Central. Rally to finish last. But. Uh, Big changes coming to the Royals in more ways than one. We'll talk about the ones that we absolutely know about. There is a new general manager. There is a new field manager, and um, it's gonna. Be, it's a new chapter for for the Royals. No Dayton Moore. Big story not to have Dayton Moore as the Royals general manager. We all enjoyed working with Dayton Moore, and I think Dayton Moore enjoyed working with the Kansas City press corps, um, I, or I think I, I think he really understood how important it was uh, for him to have um, a, a good relationship with the media, but that, that's beside the point. There just weren't enough victories, right? There just, there just wasn't enough success after the 2015 World Championship, and J.J. Uh, Piccolo is now calling the shots for the Royals. It is going to be odd, though, not to have Dayton Moore uh, see him at spring training. Although he's with the Texas Rangers now, they yeah. share the spring right training complex. Door, yeah. Right, surprise! So we will see Dayton Moore. Just he'll be wearing a you know a, a T on his uh, <laughs> on his golf shirt and not a not an, or an R. It is funny of all the places to end up. That first whatever <laughs> six weeks or so down there, that, 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 like 
he'll be over there all the time, right? Or they'll be they'll see him all the time. I don't know that he'll. I don't think he's going to be hovering over the Royals, though. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, <laughs> I don't think it's, so. a, it's a clean break for him. He and Chris Young will um, just be over in their yeah. their side of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> they, but they typically, it seems to me, the Royals and Rangers might play first at every they spring training. Always do. That's right. right? That's because the first that, spring training the stadium. Game realizing that this is the this was the quickest move Dayton could have made to improve his his standings. Um, was just to change teams to <laughs> rather get somebody else here. Just he changes teams himself to Texas. Hey, but go, go, let's go back to something that's at the, the heart of this, Blair. As we turn to Dayton and all the changes at the Royals, it also goes back to something Sam said about about the nature of the NFL and uh, sure, yeah. these decisions versus what happens in MLB. You know, you can I think make a pretty decent case that that part of Dayton's undoing was trying too hard to straddle uh, the continuity and holding on to some guys that thinking there was another window of contention. We can just ring this out one more year or two more years. We'll get back in the postseason. And it it just the calculus didn't work out. And I think really you could almost put a, you know, scientific data to how it it moved everything back. Then a couple. Then you throw in COVID. Um, everybody, it affected everybody's development, right? But the, for the Royals to be at a peak developmental need with pitching as that happened, I think that warped a few things. So I mean, you can sort of see how it uh, cascaded down from all there. I think what was most revealing about John Sherman's press conference that day was it wasn't just about the win-loss record of the past. It was where he thought they were going in the future. And he thought that JJ was a much better person to guide the analytics department, which, I mean, they don't lack an analytics department. Like, they, they call it their R&D department, but, like, they've got a pretty robust department. It's about the infusion of that into what you mentioned, Vahe, which is using it to make transactions and to be more transactional, which was a buzzword for the last year we heard, and it wasn't put into play other than when JJ took over the, the deadline stuff. And I think the combination of these new faces that the Royals have, the manager um, with Matt Quattraro, um, obviously JJ Piccola actually having the final say, a general manager, even if his title is doesn't was that last year, um, but also, you know, with, with some of their pitching development coaches as well, the whole thing is to try and catch up to what a lot of other MLB teams have been doing for a while. I'll save the other big Royals news uh, for a little bit later in the show when we talk about coming attractions. But I want to get to some other big newsy items from 2022. Um, the University of Kansas Jayhawks uh, not only won the NCAA title, Bill Self's second, the program's fourth. Notice I said NCAA title, not that dumb Helms Foundation United stuff. Auto Workers, what, what is that, UAW? <laughs> right. what, I can't remember what's... Uh... Um, but did it in fairly dramatic fashion. It's halftime at the Caesars Superdome, and there's there's Vahe and Sam sitting together huddling how they're going to bury the Jayhawks and how they're going to frame the big disappointment of a team that's what, down by 15 at halftime. What was it you said? Oh, I said something like, I don't think, it, I don't think it's podcast appropriate. Yeah. But you had planned on doing a story. Oh, on I was well along. The, uh, well along on a story on uh, Bill Self's relationship with with his dad who had passed yeah, that, that yeah. during the season that year. And <laughs> I had spent Sunday 
uh, the day before the title game with Bill's mother and sister. Great, the great story, story idea. Kind of needed them to win. If the Jayhawks win. <laughs> so he passes me at halftime. Yeah, I mean, you know, halftime is what seems like 45 minutes right. at an NCAA event. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there, and he just passes me, taps me. He's literally racing by, just goes, I'm screwed. I'm screwed. <laughs> and that was that. It's the only interaction we had at halftime. This is a, a little a great view at the uh, how the sausage is made. It's all about us, and, and but truly, it was uh, looking a little dire for the Jayhawks. It's amazing how that message got into the Kansas locker room. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, guys, you realize Vahe spent all the Sunday with my family. That's right. You thought you heard Bill Self's <laughs> halftime speech. <laughs> No, but an incredible comeback for Kansas. They actually, I think, went down 16 early in the second half. And so it made it the largest halftime deficit overcome and then the largest deficit in any championship game when it got to 16. Uh, amazing comeback. And one of the cool things for me, David McCormick uh, with the two big buckets down the stretch and strong case could have been made. He was the most outstanding player for in, in the final four, but it went to Ochai Abaji yeah. and the fact that we got a Kansas city high school kid in that role. He, he didn't have his greatest game in, in the championship, but against Villanova in the semifinals could miss from three. And it was very cool to have a Kansas city kid. And Sam, you, you wrote about him in high school, didn't you? Yeah. I, I saw him play several times in high school. He was always kind of, I thought a diamond in the rough at the time. I remember watching him. We just had the William Jewell Tour tournament finish up this week. But I remember watching him at the Jewell tournament as a junior and just talking to local high school coaches about how shocked I was that his, his offers were like UMKC and things of that nature. And I had asked Kareem Richardson at the time about him. He's like, we're not getting We're not getting this kid. At some point, these other schools will come in. And then all of a sudden it was KU. I mean, it was a massive jump um, from the offers he was getting to getting KU. And then, of course, now you've got lots of other programs. Oh, if KU's interested, we, we, well, we probably should be interested in him as well. But I think he speaks to the larger story of the fact that this cloud's been hanging over for KU for a while. At some point, it seems like that's going to be on our list. It's only coming attractions. <laughs> it has been for five years right. now. And, but it speaks to the bigger picture of how he had to build his team that way. And yeah. I think you could argue he gets a more significant value out of getting some of these guys that um, aren't quite as notable as McDonald's All-Americans because – when guys stay with Bill Self for four years, they turn out to be pretty good players. Darn right they that's do. A, that's, a gr that's a great point. And look, it's a little bit of a dilemma for the, the modern coach, right? If you can get somebody, uh, make this up, like Wiggins or whoever, if you can get that guy, you get him. But I, it does alter things when you develop somebody for four years. And and also, it, it it's not just the development of the individual, right? But it's how the team is laid out and, and gels. I mean, it's... That, that, That's that what was, you saw in that entire team. That was a team. great team. I mean, you mentioned David McCormick. I mean, we, Ochai, Christian, Christian Brown. Brown was there for yeah. three years. Even Dewan Harris, who's Bill Self's yeah. favorite player, yeah. played a big role in, in, in that uh, that run. So, um, so again, one of the reasons we waited as long as we did to record this was to just to see how far <laughs> the Kansas State football program would go, and the fact they didn't they didn't finish it off. But what an accomplishment for Chris Kleiman's club to, to win the Big 12, fourth conference championship in school history, dramatically defeating uh, TCU in overtime in the Big 12 title game. 
one of the great, you know, as somebody who was here, has been here for all of Bill Snyder's tenure at Kansas State, and he had a lot of great moments. Um, th- th- there is finally a great moment in Kansas State football history that's outside of the Bill Snyder era that they can yeah. put in the trophy case, and, and it was this one. So um, I, I don't know how you guys felt about Chris Kleiman before, but this just reinforces my idea that he is, he is such a great fit for Kansas State. And he ain't going to get money whipped away from, you know, to some SEC school or Big Ten school. I'm convinced of that. As long as Gene Taylor remains the athletic director, they got their guy. What's funny about that is that, you know, some of the skepticism at the time about the hiring of Chris Kleiman was, well, you know, they've got that background together and and Gene Taylor just hired a a guy that's his friend or, you know, however it it was postured. Well, it turns out Gene Taylor hired a guy who's really good for the job and also – the the corollary impact of that is that because of his relationship with Gene Taylor, a guy that might normally be pried away is likely to stay for the long term. I mean, so it you know double down effect for for that. And boy, Blair, you would know this better than I would, or you too, Sam. But I I don't know what you point to as the best wins in K State history, but. You know, that Big 12 title game in 98, was it? When they, if they had won, they would have played for the national played, title. Yeah. Yep. Lost um, to Texas and lost A&M. The double overtime, Texas A&M and yep. St. Louis. I, they destroyed I think, Oklahoma in a Big 12 championship game here it, at Arrowhead. At Arrowhead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but I, you know, had they beaten Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, would that have been bigger than beating the team that's about to play for the national title? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Game yeah, we, we don't, I guess we don't have to worry about that now. Yeah. But I, I think the fact that there was a month to get ready for the Sugar Bowl, that way you could you could have the conversation, how big is this game for Kansas yeah. State? And all the other instances were, if it was the Big 12 title game, you had a week to run yeah. up, a week run yeah. up to that. Or the Nebraska game, when they, first, they they broke the long losing streak to the Cornhuskers in 98. Yeah. That was the, maybe the biggest celebration I've yeah. ever seen. But uh, but no, um, wonderful. And it, it just, you know, with the, with the Big 12, that, that's not on our list, but the Big 12 is going to have one more year with Texas and Oklahoma. In fact, there'll be 14 teams in the Big 12 next year. Um, and then Texas, Oklahoma move on. Who's to say Kansas State won't be one of those teams? It's going to be a perennial contender in the new Big 12. Yeah. And it started, heck, even next year when it's 14. So, um, okay, let's, let's, let's touch on a few more of these, and I do want to get to some coming attractions. Um, Kansas football. Speaking of coaches, it seemed to be just right for the job. Lance Leipold um, was not Big 12 Coach of the Year, was not National Coach of the Year. Um, be hard to make a case against Sonny Dykes at TCU, but my gosh, um, anybody see six wins coming for KU football? No, no. I mean you just you just couldn't. And I tell you what, that first four or five weeks, um, that was that was just an absolutely exhilarating story. And part of it was, you know, a couple of those games were big comebacks, and that sort of epitomized the whole broader sense of a comeback in this program. Um, and you could just tell watching that you felt like this is a well-coached team, um, that all this is foundational as opposed to, you know, a supernova bursting or something, right? This is, this is, I think, the start of, you know, more credibility and momentum going forward. And not easy to do there still, and it, it, it's, it, it may be an interesting year or two of some back and forth that you feel like you – you can know with certainty that that's this program's here with that kind of traction, but I I really like what's going on there, and um, 
That that bowl game was was unbelievable against Arkansas. Down twenty five and coming yeah. back to send it to overtime. That was amazing. And speaking of programs that are taken off with with a new coach, Missouri's basketball team. Uh, as we record this, they're about to play their fifth ranked opponent in five games. Uh, they're going to Arkansas later this week, and Missouri won two of the three. I think if I'd looked at the schedule and known that was coming from Missouri with you know Dennis Gates, the new coach, if they could have found a way to win one of those games, you know that would have that would have been you know uh, an accomplishment. I wouldn't have give, I wouldn't have favored any, favored them in any of those games. Whole new team, nothing but you know except for for Kobe Brown. Whole new team, nothing but transfers, and here they are in the AP poll for the first time in two years. And man, I've, I've been to a few of the Missouri home games this year. And the, the marquee games, of course, Kentucky, Kansas, and Kentucky, they filled the arena, but they're putting eight to 10,000 people for the non marquee games, and they weren't doing that for quite a while. It's like it's a team that, um, you look, know, I, I think when you have a coaching change, your objective is to see just some sort of improvement to, to show that you're, all, you're going in the right direction. Now, the, the way college sports landscape is right now, being able to plug transfers and have them play immediately, it does allow you to maybe speed up that timeline a little bit. But I think we're all impressed. that I mean, They've already won as many games as they did last they year. They did. Yep. But I think what I've really been impressed with is they've had improvement within the season. And we were all, you know, we were at the KU game, and they, um, I, I thought, looked like a team that would just, just get overwhelmed by any good offense they faced for the rest of the year. Illinois was a ranked team. Kentucky was a ranked team. And I, I thought, you know, and I think this is the way I wrote it once, but I thought we learned a lot about Missouri the day they played KU. And it turns out we learned even more about them afterwards because that was not a game that was going to be indicative of the rest of their season. But one of the reasons is I think Dennis Gates has appropriately so mixed up the way he plays a little bit. And that is a good sign as much as, Look, the, I think college coaches, the, the guy they were facing last time we were there, Blair, with, with Calipari, yeah. are judged on the talent they bring in, especially in basketball when two or three guys can completely change over a team. But the stuff that's going to be more long-lasting is being able to do the X's and O's and beat teams that are better than you. And I think Missouri, back-to-back, has beaten teams that have more talent than they do. I, I think that's right. But you're, you're absolutely right. They, they've won fast. And they prefer to play fast, mm-hmm. but they've won slow. They've won when they haven't shot well, and of course, when they do shoot well, they've won changing defenses in a game and going to zone in the last couple of games has just befuddled. It's, a, it's as if teams. the other team didn't even yep. had never seen it. Um, yep. And we sat in a press conference with Calipari where he, I think you were the one that asked him, but he acted like it wasn't that big of a deal because they eventually figured it out. But the point was, Kentucky was on a run, and. They didn't figure it out for a few possessions. Oh, the two and that's turnovers what and two three-pointers, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one interesting thing about this, and you guys have seen them more than I have. I only saw one game in person. Um, but the, uh, the the sort of soft serve early schedule, right, it, it, it made you wonder about what they've really got, especially after that Kansas game. But what it did give them a chance to do was play a lot of guys in a lot of different contexts, in a lot of different even – you know, not necessarily schemes exactly, but, you know, changing it up a little bit within that. And it seemed like along the way, Dennis Gates was 
very consciously trying to make sure they worked on different things in those times, things you wouldn't work on if you were playing a, 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 a little better team that could probably beat you if you were experimenting, some, right? Some island tournament opponent. Yeah, you know, right? And, your third and so, game in three days. And you, know, you were talking about this before the, uh, before the Illinois game. We were, we were talking about this a little bit that, you know, the grand experiment a little bit here is all these different guys playing that schedule, What's what's the stew that he's really concocting here, and it it sure looks pretty good right now. And that's that was the the Kentucky's I think was it its most lopsided loss in, ever in a most, SEC most, opener. Most points surrendered, surrendered to an SEC opponent okay. in the John Calipari. Kentucky John Calipari, that's what. It, okay, so now what that means that Arkansas, you know, we don't know, but um, that in Arkansas is a different kind of test, right? They've they've played neutral court big time opponent right with illinois but they really haven't had a road opponent a, a true road opponent right. of this ill well they went um went to wichita state right that, that florida was right that neutral neutral floor uh, yeah yep, so okay let's uh we are running a lot we're, we're, we're going overboard well, i knew year. we would it's a whole year i know we gotta, we gotta get a whole year in um we cannot uh cannot go any further without talking about the kansas city current what a season for them, their second year of existence. And they get out of the gate with like losses, four or five, or winless. They, I think there's scoreless tie or ties in there. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. They change coaches, they've changed some personnel, but it's going to be another struggling year for the, the team that's rebranded this year is the Kansas City Current. And then they don't lose again for like three months. That was amazing, just amazing. So, um, they get all the way to the um, the championship game and, and fall in, in the title game, but incredible second year for the Kansas City Currents, and that's not you know that's only part of the story with this team. New stadiums, they've already broken ground. If you if you drive down into downtown from thirty five slash twenty nine and look off to the right as you cross the river, you see the cranes out there. Their stadium's going to open in twenty twenty four. They got it going on, don't they? Yeah, I think what's really cool about that whole you know, "quote unquote" program is that the newness was only going to last, was only going to carry them so long. Even new stadium, I, I would, I would apply that to it as well. Like at some point, you had to win, and they were only in year two, so I didn't think this was a year you had to be championship good, but you had to start winning some games because the what's going to bring the people back is a good product on the field. All this other stuff, you know, they open a new training center as well. You mentioned the stadium's coming. That's going to help attract the talent. But to have that already before maybe because, I mean, you wrote about Sam Mewis. Like, we thought she was going to be what helped get this this team to the type of level they ended up reaching. She didn't play this. Yeah. They, had, they were out a couple of their best, you know, likely best players most of the season. And look what they did. And um, they seemed willing to keep continuing to do everything they can to enhance the roster. So, you know, all that does have to sort of coalesce, I think. But I do think we won't know what it really represents until it's built and you start seeing over a two or three year period how it's how it's used. But there's something really revolutionary about the stadium as an, as an unprecedented thing. But also, I think, as uh, something that I, I really believe they'll look at it as a 365 day uh, opportunity to have other things going on there. And that's, you know, it's a neglected part of Kansas City in some ways, the development of the, the riverfront. So 
I like all that that implies with this too. Um, what's your, uh, do, do you have a, uh, a single memory of Len Dawson? Um, it's funny when you say that my scan button goes right to the, you know, the Fresca and cigarette at <laughs> halftime. Because, um, you know, I can say my own sort of personal single memory with Len. I guess I might have been the last person to do a substantial interview with him. Yes. It was right after his um, announcement of retirement. I went over to his house and uh, was there a good, good 90 minutes or so. And um, I, I just kind of treasure that. Right. And for, for Blair and me, it's probably a little different than for you, Sam. I mean, as children of the 60s, you know, it, starting to get your sports compass on everything. I mean, even I, in the Philadelphia area, you know, Kansas City Super Chiefs and Len Dawson and just I remember him in black and, cool. I remember him in black and white. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. Not just color, but in black and white. And then we all, you know, this is sort of one of the privileges of the job, right? You, you tend to get to know people in a little bit, certain ways after their careers. And he was, you know, a... a kind of a colossus of Kansas City in so many ways as a uh, longtime announcer, too. So that I, I, I think that uh, the, the good fortune to get to speak to him and have some sense of him that way. But did you have some something that stood out to you? Well, Sam? I think what's interesting, it sort of it reminds me, you know, of last it was almost exactly a year ago when John Madden passed away and the generations were sort of separated by the way they remember John Madden. Like Lynn Dawson was that in Kansas City. That's so a great point. I remembered him growing up as being on, he was the sports anchor on Channel 9. Yeah. Like that, that was my relationship with Lynn Dawson because I didn't see him play. And, you know, several people remember him as being, until the guy we have now, the, the best quarterback the franchise ever had. And it's just, it's so bizarre to think now. And I, Blair, I think you've said this a bunch, but to imagine Patrick Mahomes after a practice driving over to the news station <laughs> and reporting on the team after after His he's hair done. still wet, he's put, on the, he's put on the sports coat. Sweaty jacket on. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, we, yeah, don't, and, we don't want to discourage that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast. Well, did, and the other thing job. is his, his uh, groundbreaking role with Inside the NFL uh, yeah. on HBO with the first of its kind type of weekly highlight show not just highlights but commentary too there was he was the first guy I actually heard criticize other players or that show was the first time I'd ever heard uh, players criticize other players and not in a not in a mean-spirited way but just pointing out mistakes and I'm thinking wow wow you can do that you yeah. absolutely can do that and he was he and Nick Bonacani I remember were two of the, the, yeah. the, the pioneers for that all right we've gone way too long um, I've got three coming attractions here. Um, I'll, I'll blurt them all out. You guys, well, we, we have one that's not. We have Buck O'Neill, right? We I'm mentioned. sorry. Yeah, we, that's we, a great catch. I got, briefly, but I've got it written down here. Buck O'Neill but, in the Hall of Fame. Just, I mean, I think I was lucky to get to cover a lot of it and to go to Cooperstown. But I think you guys lived the arc of Buck's. Uh, you know, the the the, the really deeply sad. Uh, rejection or you know lack of being yeah. written into the hall of fame in 2006 while he was alive his death not long after and that whole time frame I, I i find myself thinking about what that was like for you to see that that happen well my commentary on on that is that you can feel buck's spirit if you go to the negro leagues museum and so certainly would encourage everyone to go check that out and purely because you know bob kendrick i think is a friend of all of ours um, so we're a bit biased in it, but just does an unbelievable job of bringing that era of baseball to life. Good point. Nice save, Sam. Sorry I missed that. Um, all right. 
here are three coming attractions. We mentioned one earlier, the NCAA decision on KU basketball, we think is going to happen in 2023. We thought it was going to happen in 2018, but uh, here we are. Um, second one, the NFL draft is coming. Let's look outside the window. It's going to be right over there. We're near Union Station. You can't uh, see it through the fog. You can. It's Depending on what our teams do, that that is going to be very high up on our list next year, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but it's going to bring hundreds of thousands of people. In the, and the people Into our new airport. Into a new airport. That's exactly right. Ooh. And the people that are putting together the NFL draft from the local people are saying, well, that's the dress rehearsal for the World Cup, one more the Fan Fest and, and all that. And, of course, maybe the biggest one, uh, I think by the end, I hope by the end of 2023, we have some solid answers on a new downtown ballpark. Um, all right, those are three out there. Go ahead, discuss among yourselves. I'm looking forward uh, to this day next year <laughs> when we, we are still talking about when KU will get its judgment. Uh, I do believe by then we'll have clarity on what the Royals are trying to do. I would suspect, I think we think there's a chance on the August ballot, if I'm not mistaken, that that would be earliest. We think that's early, the earliest yeah. it could possibly appear on the ballot. In which case, if it, if it's on the ballot, we're going to have to have a lot more answers than we do now. And yeah. it's not a criticism to say that the Royals don't have these answers because some of them, like they're still in the process of gathering themselves. Well, theoretically, you want it to be that way if they're doing this listening tour, right? That, that right. oh, they're they're really they're actually absorbing stuff that they're going to take in. We don't know because we don't know what the blank slate is behind it. Yeah, and they say there's several sites still pending. I, I think we all want to know where is it going, when's it going there, how much is the cost to the taxpayer. We did hear some information for John Sherman that he threw out a number that he is going to be contributing, I think is larger than, than we anticipated. But you still have to know the total cost on the taxpayer, which taxpayers is it going to affect. So the most critical questions of this are still unanswered, but I think that more just demonstrates that they're early in this process still and just how long this process is going to require. Yeah. I think there's some people that are inclined to be angry about it just because they perceive that no matter what, it's it's a boondoggle for lack of a better term, right? That it's but I I will say and I I I feel like this is um backed up by John Sherman's track record. I really don't think John Sherman's doing this project if he doesn't think it serves the greater good as well. Now, whether it executes proper, it's executed properly to do that, you know, there's a lot of zillion questions about that. But I, I, I really think that's the undercurrent of it. All right, guys. Um, like I said, this went on a little longer than I thought. I sincerely hope that in the first week of January 2024, we're having another conversation looking back on this year and... Guys, I really enjoy working with you and at the Kansas City Star and Absolutely. Thank you.